Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this, your written word, and the way it's been able to communicate to, to millions of people down the last thousands of years. And we pray that as we come to it now that I may speak your words and that we may go from here having heard you speak and with something more to do to show your joy to the world that is dying. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, tonight, up until Thursday, I was planning to bring you that great book of Leviticus. I can tell that you're relieved with joy. But to me, the book of Leviticus shows the intimate heart of God who wants a dynamic, intimate relationship with the world that he cares about. Like no other book. That's probably just me because I'd be a very good Pharisee. So you'll be relieved to know that we're not doing that this time. And so on Thursday I had this nagging uh, spirit, for want of a better word, and then Adam phoned up and we had a little chat and I confirmed it with a couple of other people. So it wasn't just my decision. So let's turn to Psalm 66. I do prefer the Old Testament, but you may have realised that by now. So we're going to look at Psalm 66, which I consider to be a prayerful song of ecstatic joy, describing a life of overwhelming joy that exists between an almighty God and one of his followers. And Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist, said of this psalm, it's a marvellous psalm just to be read, but set to suitable music, it must have been one of the noblest strains ever heard by the Jewish people. So, let's investigate this together. And the first impression I get from this psalm is that there is a sense of deep intimacy between God and the psalmist. And part of that intimacy and part of that relationship was joy. True, pure joy. And we see where joy fitted into the life of the psalmist, who was probably King David, and we've got no reason to doubt that. And then we'll go on to discover what I think joy actually is before discussing what is one of the barriers to joy and then finally we'll see where joy is to fit into our life. So Psalm 66 and I'll read from verses 1 to 4. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Salah. And the majority of scribes and leaders of Israel down through the ages usually gave praise to God in silence, in meditation and in solemnity. And this was, of course, acceptable to God and proper to do so. But here, on this occasion, first of all for the psalmist, among a great number of people, 
the whole earth is encouraged to shout with exuberant joy to God. And it's quite natural for great crowds of people to shout in harmony. And if praise is to be widespread, it must be vocal. Joyful sounds stir the soul and cause great thanksgiving to be spread throughout the land. And of course, everybody is different and each person praises differently. Some people are naturally loud and some people like me are naturally quiet. I haven't had any coffee today. And whatever your own style of praise, God is to be praised in all styles and manners and with both the voice and the heart. The whole earth, everything and everyone is encouraged to sing of the glory and power of the name of God. And the psalmist encourages worshippers to turn their praises of joy to God alone. Turning in joy and admiration to a God who one day will cause all the earth to fear and tremble before him. For those who are enemies of God, who have never believed in him, never followed Jesus Christ, they too will be forced into submitting worship to this God before departing his presence forever. They will be forced to worship him due to his joyful magnificence, his glory, and through forced submission, not because they choose to, but but their worship will not be like those who have decided to follow God during their earthly life. The worship of all those who truly believe in him, following him intimately, their worship will be of truth, love, peace and pure, unadulterated joy. Their reward will be to praise and serve God eternally. Wow. And then, in verse 5 to 12, we talk about the joy in the nation of Israel. Come, come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in on man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Some, come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples, that the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and burdened on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. So after dealing with God individually, the psalmist now goes on to exhort great communal joy because of what God has done for Israel. He has done mighty works for his people. Did God not start the nation of Israel from Abraham in Genesis? Had not God led his people out of exile in Egypt by parting the Red Sea with his mighty hands so that people could walk to freedom? Does not God rule forever by his mighty power and his outstretched hand? God watched over that nation of Israel, making covenants with Abraham and Moses, promising that he will be their God and that they would be his people. 
and the people of Israel to be, to be a people of joy. A separated nation because they could look and see what God had done for them. And they had a sure hope of what he would do for them in the future. They were his and he was theirs. A cause certainly for great celebration and joy. And the psalmist continues to encourage the people to exhibit joyfully. God kept the feet of Israel from slipping. Even though Israel often turned their back on him, God still kept the remnant of true believers for himself. And God sent Israel into exile under oppressive enemies as punishment for their rebellious ways. And eventually he led them. He led them into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance. That is why Israel could have exultant joy because of the hope they had in their God and the testimony they could give as a nation under their God. Indeed, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 9, verse 24, we read, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And and when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Wow. So how often have you heard joy linked with the book of Leviticus? Or even love your neighbour as yourself comes from the book of Leviticus. And the psalmist would certainly have been made aware of that. And now verses 13 to 20 if I put my right eyes in. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. So thirdly, now after joy as a community and as an individual, the psalmist turns to himself and gets personal. His own joy starts with a sacrifice of vows and burnt offerings, a sacrifice which costs him something. The psalmist has given promises to God and he wants to fulfil those promises before his God. And because of his great joy, the psalmist tells others the source of his joy. He gives testimony to the love of God, how he confessed his sins to God and how God had listened to him and heard his prayers, just as God heard Andy's prayers. And the psalmist told the priest, the people to come and listen to what God has done for me. Come, come. They had all seen God's work, but they also needed to hear that he was a gracious God, not just mighty. And the psalmist has developed an intimate relationship with this almighty God which is to be revealed in the joy of the psalmist through sacrifice, testimony 
and praise. Now, that's all very well, you may be sitting there thinking, but just what is joy? What do you want about, Roberts? Is joy merely a form of bloated happiness? Or is it more? Joy is not going around everywhere at all times with a silly grin on your face as if you've been drinking Red Bull for 12 hours. Don't ask. That kind of joy is dependent upon circumstances and feelings. The type of joy the psalmist was talking about was to a certain degree dependent upon circumstances and feelings. But he was also talking about a deeper inner joy that is not. The source, object and target of the psalmist's joy was God and God alone. That kind of joy, however, is not to be confused with mere pleasure or feeling good. That joy was a way of life and it permeates every aspect of the person and not just at an emotional level. To enhance that thought, C.S. Lewis once wrote this, Joy is never in our power and pleasure is. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted true joy would ever, if both were in his power or her power, exchange it for all the pleasure in the world. And as Christians, if you're a Christian here tonight, we are all instruments in the orchestra of God's joy. Let me say that again. If you're a Christian here tonight, we are all instruments in the orchestra of God's joy. Does that describe your experience of joy? And as humans, we feel happiness or pleasure depending on our circumstances, while true, internal, biblical joy is always separated from our circumstances and is a heartfelt response that endures regardless of the things that we're going through. And the world says happiness is looking out for number one. Look out for yourself, look out for your own interests and negotiate your own personal good in all you do and at all times. And the world says the greatest good is your own personal happiness. They also mistakenly call that joy. But that is not true joy. That kind of happiness or type of joy doesn't last very long. So the perpetual search for happiness continues in a circle, a bit like a dog chasing its tail. Now, I'm not saying happiness is necessarily a bad thing, and I am aware that the word blessed in the Beatitudes can be translated happy, but in comparison to true joy, well, there is no comparison. True joy, as we have seen, results from praise, testimony and sacrifice. Joy in the Bible is more to do with peace and salvation than just an emotional state. Over and over again, throughout Scripture, joy is mentioned with peace and salvation. Joy is always for the good of others, not for our own selfish gain. And when we give away our will for the sake of others and for God, we receive the joy that Jesus desired for us. Happiness and joy are radically different. True joy is never an end in itself. It's only as we make Jesus Christ our overwhelming first priority that true joy, true joy almost without our knowing, comes, just as it did for Andy. He didn't know I was going to say this, by the way. 
the source, object and target of our joy as Christians is to be to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And where Jesus is glorified in the power of the Holy Spirit, so is God the Father. And this pure, unadulterated joy is released upon us and within us. And if we seek joy for joy's sake alone, we'll mislay it, we'll miss it. Because it cannot be caught. People of the world seek happiness, which is a form of anemic joy. The happiness industry is big business. I just come back from the States, it's everywhere, even in the churches. Me, 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 they cry out, when in fact the joy is Jesus, 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 and yet more Jesus, 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 Jesus. True and unbridled joy is given only by Jesus Christ, and we receive it by serving him and him alone. And I'm aware that there are all sorts of barriers to having and exhibiting this joy. I'm not that naive. And one of the principal things that will often hamper a life of joy is suffering. And I don't have all the answers. And to say otherwise would be to deny human experience. And we all suffer in some way. I'm sure some of you know very well from personal experiences, just as I do. In the New Testament, joy is often associated with all kinds of suffering. One day soon they will have perfect bodies and full health. There will be no status lifts. No wheelchairs. No braces, no bandages. One day there will be no more persecution. Terrorism, missiles, guns, wars, bombs, floods, famines, starvation. No more will uh, humanity's inhumanity to humanity be allowed. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more sin, no more evil of any kind. But there will be pure, unadulterated, exultant joy. And suffering of any kind leaves some sort of scar or mark. Do you have scars? Physical, emotional, psychological scars due to sickness? Perhaps you're scarred because somebody else sinned against you or as a result of your own sin against yourself. And scars come as a result of human life and human experience. Much like a house that has been lived in. Scratches visible in the paintwork, broken windows, perhaps a few dents and knocks in the walls. Our human bodies are the same, yet, yet, yet one glorious day, all those things will be gone, vanished perfection attained and with exultant joy it's to the glory of God and God alone and his majestic doing that this will occur. Do you believe it? More importantly, do you live it? And salvation is to be your joy as you are, as I said, an instrument in the orchestra of God's joy. And if you keep forgetting, put Psalm 66, 1 to 2, type it up on your computer and tape it to your bathroom mirror so you see it often enough. It works because I've been telling people to do it for about the last two years. 
Now, finally, if you know me well enough, you'll know that we had come to ourselves last. Now, finally, we come to ourselves. And what does all this have to do with us? If the psalmist's intimate relationship with God and a life of joy involves sacrifice, testimony and praise, so that is also the key to our own joy. Jesus prayed that his disciples would have joy, true joy. He says in John 17, verse 13, I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Wow. And not only for his twelve disciples, but for all those who profess to follow him down through the ages. And as I look around in my daily life, I see faces and eyes devoid of joy. When I, look at, when I talk to people, I look them in the eye, generally unless they think it's going to be a challenge. And I see a hunger and a thirst for joy. And imagine how they've searched for it all their lives in their journey for true joy. And he's not going to like this, just like Andy. And whether that's through materialism, the God of our age, Drugs, sex, alcohol. The search for joy continues. And sadly, sadly that also includes people who would profess to be Christian and then within, within some of the Christian church. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't feel as if joy is a part of us. We look around at the world we live in and see all the misery and the injustice. We see human life being wasted by cancer and HIV AIDS and we don't feel very joyful. But when we do that, we're confusing happiness with joy, aren't we? Confusing happiness with true joy. And if we've lost the joy of our Christian life, we need to put back into perspective just what God is calling us to do. Remember what he's done for us. And then we go ahead to look at what he's going to do through us as he has promised to do. And we need to remember that what he has done for us, we look ahead to the promises he has made us and we consider if Jesus Christ is still truly first and centre place in our lives. As Christians, we can never truly lose joy, but we can mislead if our priorities get jumbled up And once we make a conscious decision to claim the joy hidden in the midst of all the kinds of suffering and turmoil, life suddenly becomes a celebration. Joy never denies the sadness, but transforms it into a fertile soil for yet further joy. Joy unabounded, if you like. Joy is a relationship. It is Jesus over yourself. True joy is the result of being in an intimate, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Joy stems from seeking to obey God in all things and through all facets of human experience. The joy of Jesus Christ is transferred to us as we enter into a personal relationship with him and go about the task of serving him in this world. Joy is to be a quality about us, just as it was about Jesus And just as it was for the Apostles and the New Testament Church. We are his disciples, his followers, and we are to practice joy 
Salvation is your joy, and your joy is to be your salvation in action. Dancing in action even. And joy was sacrifice, testimony, and praise for the psalmist. It was in the life of Jesus Christ, and therefore it is to be for us as well if we call us, call him our Lord, if we are his followers. So firstly there's praise. Praising God, as we've said, lifts the heart, soul and the spirit when we're feeling down or whether we're feeling up. The psalmist praised God and there was great joy in his heart. He had many reasons to praise God. God listened to his prayers, took his sacrifices and worship and forgave him when he had confessed his sins. God had not withheld his love from him. Surely the praise of God's people should cause great joy to be spread amongst the whole neighbourhood. Now if you want to praise God quietly, that's fine. And if you want to praise God loudly, that's also fine. But let's not decry each other's way of praising God, but be joyful simply because God is being praised. And praising God is not simply going through the motions, because praising God is to be a sacrifice. It's to be done with effort and not with complacency. And praising God the Father joyfully through God the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit regardless of our feelings, emotions, our situations and our circumstances. And as part of our intimate relationship uh, with God, it can only be done through the comforting and encouraging power of the Spirit who indwells us. And praise is a a reflection of the inner joy of both the individual believer and the community of believers. And secondly, there are testimonies. Testimonies are stories such as we've heard tonight. Testimonies telling people of what the almighty, awesome God has done for them should cause great joy to emanate from them and from those of us who have been listening. Telling others of God's mercy, his grace, his love and the joy that can be had of him is also to be part of our joy. The joy of God bubbling up inside of us and demanding that we praise God the Father through God the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is praise in action. Joy also comes from encouraging others, urging others on in the faith to grow and being encouraged to do likewise. And then thirdly, there is sacrifice. The psalmist never presented a starving goat to God as a sacrifice but always well-fed and perfect animals of the very best fields. In the book of Leviticus, there it is again, all sacrificial animals were to be perfect, without spot, stain or blemish. We are no longer required to make those sort of sacrifices and offerings in accordance with the book of Leviticus anymore because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross but we are required to make sacrifices. Indeed, our whole lives as Christians is to be sacrificial. Making sacrifices takes effort. There's no room for complacency and it shows gratitude to God in action. It means that we should always give our best to God, both as individuals and as a community of believers. Joy derives from giving all things to God. 
It could be sacrifices of praise as commanded by the writer to the Hebrews. It could be a sacrifice of time and money given to serving. And one of the hallmarks of the early church was true joy. And members of the early church sacrificed time and material possessions. Where somebody was in need, they fulfilled that need as soon as they could. They were radical in their sacrificial giving of time and possessions. Are we? The New Testament church made sure that giving was done, that the poor, the oppressed, the lonely and the widows were taken care of. People gave sacrificially. When anyone was in need, another member of the church fulfilled that need. Physical, emotional, psychological and spiritual needs. That is to be one of the hallmarks of a joyful church. And not just at a local level, but also on the global scale. A statement about the global church is that it is to be a church of true joy. And in Hebrews 12 verse 2 we read this. Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, our Saviour, is now experiencing glorious joy in all senses of the word. As I conclude, let's go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. And let me read to you verse 4. God will wipe away our tears. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain, for former things have passed away. What a gloriously joyful day that will be. Jesus Christ himself caressing your face in his own hands and wiping away your tears. And we often think of tears as meaning sorrow, don't we? But there are also tears of pure, unadulterated, glorious, exalted joy. What a day that will be when we enter those gates with tremendous joy, singing praises, giving testimony, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis's last book of the Narnia Tales, The Last Battle. But for them it was only the beginning of the real story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. A life of pure, unadulterated, exultant and an unending joy awaits you and I if we follow Jesus Christ alone and persevere to the end. This is only the practice run. A bit like last week at Durrington was the practice run for this week. But you didn't know that apart from Chris and Sue and young me. And if you haven't had that true joy because you don't know Jesus Christ personally, then come and see. I know Adam would love to talk to you and shake your hand. Or Jim, or a few of us. Come and see us after the service. But if you are a believer here tonight, and there's one or two that are, go out into the week with joy, knowing and remembering that salvation is your joy resting in God and joy is your salvation dancing in communion with peace.
Let's go both as individuals and a community of believers, practicing joy by showing joy in action through obedient service to God by way of testimony, praise and sacrifice. Go and see where joyful praises, joyful testimonies about God and joyful sacrificing take you. Come and tell me, email me if you like, I'm probably the easiest person on the planet to contact. The secret to having true biblical joy is beginning and developing an intimate relationship with a God who desires. And it involves praise, testimony and sacrifice. All key elements in the life of all those who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Go into this week knowing that you are indeed instruments in the orchestra of God's exultant joy. Let's pray. Father, once again we thank you for these written words. We thank you for the psalmist who was able to uh, express so clearly his intimate relationship with you. We thank you for the joy that only you can give. And I pray that as we go out into this week, that uh, you would go before us and there be opportunities for us to give praise, to give testimony and to serve sacrificially. For your honour and glory we pray. Amen.